Good morning. It is such an honor to be here. Thank you so much for um, letting me speak to you from God's Word this morning. Uh, it's just been great to meet many of you already. I'm looking out and seeing familiar faces. Um, and I look forward to meeting uh, many more of you uh, in the future. So, yeah, thank you again so much for uh, letting me address you this morning from God's Word. Uh, that song we just sang almost had me weeping a little bit because that has been very important to me to run to Jesus' arms and feel his compassionate love, especially through uh, the last couple years of seminary. So um, that, that really means a lot to me, and uh, uh, I had no, no uh, hand in deciding that song, but, um, but thank you, worship team, for, for doing that. Just a little bit about me, I studied art in college, and as an art major, I really dreamed of one day having a, a, a commission, getting a commission for a piece of artwork. Now, for an artist, a commission could mean the difference between you eating and going hungry. So that was something I envisioned while I was at school and um, really looked forward to maybe one day having a commissioned piece of artwork like maybe Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel, or <laughs> Richard Serra's massive New York City uh, steelworks. Um, but I never got that commission. Instead, I got a much different commission with a much different focus. In fact, it is the commission, a great commission. This is the commission that I did receive, and it is the guiding principle for my life. Um, a look at Jesus' commission in Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20, will help us confidently submit to his great commission and participate in his great mission. We'll see the authority behind his commission, the content of his commission, and the promise associated with his commission this morning. And I hope as we look at those sections, we'll be encouraged to confidently submit to Jesus' great commission and live our lives with that as a guidepost. So let's, uh, let's read the scripture right now. Starting in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. Let me just uh, take a minute to pray for our time uh, as, we, as we look at this passage. Lord God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for um, handpicking all the people that are here this morning, uh, gathering us together to worship you and to fix our eyes on you. Lord, I pray that this message would be... Um, 
would be exactly as you desire and would point to you. Please let me decrease so that you can increase. Um, Lord, we love you and we thank you and pray that this whole time could be worshipful. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, before we jump into our main points, it, I think it would be helpful to get a little context, get a little bit of um, uh, a little bit of sense of what's going on, and we get that in the first verses. Um, in verses sixteen, uh, verses sixteen, starting with sixteen, it says, "Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted, and Jesus came." So just looking at that, we have uh, certainly at this point in time, there's a buzz in the air. We have empty tomb witnesses. We have resurrection appearances and and a general uncertainty uh, about the fate of anyone who confesses Jesus as Lord and confesses to follow him. I imagine the 11 disciples traveling to this predetermined spot a mountain in Galilee, and I can feel the expectation. I can almost feel them shaking with excitement. But it's not just the 11 disciples. I think that um, the text is clear when it says that some doubted that that is starting to talk about a much larger group than the 11, because the 11 have already been through all that doubting. They've already, um, they've already uh, experienced that doubting and the revealing of Jesus. Think about it. Thomas, uh, Mary, the upper room, Jesus um, in front of them, eating fish, walking through walls. That's already all taken place. It's unlikely that the 11 are, are doubting. We probably have a large group that includes all the brothers. Matthew 28, uh, verses Verse 10 says, go and tell the brothers to come to Galilee. And then 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 6 says, uh, Paul says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than five hundred at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. What's clear is the disciples have obediently come to the mountain, and a large group has gathered. Perhaps even some Pharisees are in the crowd, maybe standing off to the side. Then stuff starts to get exciting because the text says, Jesus came. Jesus comes. Jesus approaches. I imagine something very dramatic. He steps forward, gets closer to the crowd. A hush falls over everyone that's gathered. You can hear a pin drop. And then the voice of Jesus fills the space, fills that empty silence. And he has something to say. So just... Be in that moment for a second. That stillness and Jesus beginning to speak. We see him speak. He's declaring the authority of the Great Commission. 
So here, this is, our, this is our first point. We see the authority behind the Great Commission. Jesus declares that he is the authority of, of all authorities. The same voice that spoke all of creation into existence is here speaking authoritatively about his own authority. That means we can take this to the bank. The person doing the commissioning matters. Is it some nobody that's making this commission, or is it the president? It really makes a difference who's speaking and who's giving the commission. And Jesus understands himself as the authority. But on whose authority does he claim this? Okay, you're going to have to imagine with me for a second. But imagine that part of this weekend visit involved me playing a round of golf with Pastor Tim. Okay? Now, I can say right now, hey, I'm a great golfer. But it really helps if I have a pastor's authority behind me to say, yeah, Kevin's a great golfer. That, that makes a difference. But now, what if I have the authority, maybe ESPN says, hey, Kevin Hackett, he is a great golfer. Now there's a little bit more authority. It's a little bit more believable. Now imagine this. Let's say Tiger Woods comes up here and says, hey, Kevin and I just got done with a round of golf, and he is a great golfer. Now I have the authority of Tiger Woods behind me. That makes a difference. That really makes a huge difference. So Jesus affirms that he is the authority, the creator of heaven and earth, that he's been given authority by his heavenly Father. And if that's not enough, his actions have proven it. He's already proven this. So it's one thing if Tiger Woods is telling everyone that I'm a great golfer, but it's a completely other thing if I then go out and prove it. I go out on the course and prove that I'm a great golfer, and everybody sees it. And that's what Jesus has done. He hasn't proven that he's a great golfer. He's proven that he's the authority. In Ephesians 1, verses 22 to 23, God's power is demonstrated in that he was made alive, raised, and seated in the heavenly places, and everything is subjected under his feet. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. That's Romans 8, 31 to 34. His commission carries the weight of divine authority. God's power, Christ's intercession, and the Holy Spirit's empowering are all in view. So let me ask, have you considered the significance of Jesus' declaration of authority here? How seriously are you taking this great commission? Is it a back burner or front, or front and center in your life? What would it look like if this commission became the guide po post for your life? Now the stage has been thoroughly set. And we get to the second point. We see the content of Jesus' commission in verses 19 through 20a. And I'll just read that, verses uh, 19 through 20a. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them 
in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, this is the meat of the message. (laughs) So, tune in if you haven't been. Savor this. this is, this, is the, this is the content of Jesus' great commission. And this, is, and this is what we're all about this morning. Here's what we're commissioned to do. Here are the parameters, the guidelines of the commission. Imagine between the artist and the commissioner, between Jesus and his disciples, anyone that's willing to follow him. Now make disciples. That is the main verb of this section. That's the focal point. And there are three important words that all point back to that. Going, baptizing, and teaching. All of these point back to the commission's goal and purpose. So the first one, we'll we'll take all three of those one at a time. The first one is going. It means coming alongside people in their real lives, offering yours, knowing people, being intentional with what you're doing. So for me, our our five-year-old son, his name is Ethan, and we often have to remind him to use his brain. So I have have told him, my wife has told him many times, this, this conversation happens a lot. Ethan, what were you thinking? Were you using your brain? And a lot of the times he says, I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking. Well, don't do it. All that, all that to say is just that we need to be intentional. We need to be thoughtful about what we're doing as we're going about our day. Ask the Spirit to open up your spiritual eyes to see people who need the gospel and seize the opportunities to share your story. Going could have the connotation of sharing the good news as you're going. In other words, as you're going about your day, make disciples. But on the simplest level, going just means go. Go with an exclamation point. And that's what we're called to do. A few as-you're-going approaches come to my mind. You could be active, making a point to present the gospel message as you're going about your day. You could walk right up to people and just lay it on them. That might work with some people. But the danger is that people might feel like they're being forced into hearing the message. You could choose to be passive, living a holy life so people could notice a difference in you and maybe ask you why. I like that approach too. Um, But you wait for someone else to respond. You wait for someone else to initiate and you respond only when when they initiate the conversation. And the danger is You won't share when the time comes. The third option is the one I like the best. It's a mixture of both active and passive. Just be be natural, be your normal self. Strike up a conversation, start asking typical questions. Where do you live? Where do you work? What do you do? Show interest and actually listen. Please don't miss that. This is something we mess up all the time when we have an agenda, especially like sharing the gospel. Please listen to people when they're telling you their story. People quickly lose patience for over-talking, sentence-finishing, 
blabbermouths. Guide the conversation with insightful questions and let the opportunities to share the gospel come up naturally. If the, if the time comes to share the good news, keep it simple. What did your life used to look like? What was the circumstance of your conversion? What does your life look like now? Keep in mind the gospel story all the time. God created, human sin, Christ rescued, and the response is up to us. So how do you know when the opportunity comes to evangelize and to share the gospel? How do you know if you're, when you're supposed to do it? The simple, op- the simple answer is if you have the opportunity, take it. There's no perfect, there's no perfect gospel presentation. There's going to be no perfect words or magic sentence that you can say that's going to change somebody's heart like that. But God can work powerfully through your story. The second word is baptizing. Why baptism? We have evangelism, go, and edification, teaching, on either side of baptism. How could the simple act of baptism get such a prominent position? How does baptism keep pace with these other two giants? I think a proper view of baptism helps answer the question. Baptism is a symbol of fellowship. It's about joining with the body of Christ, coming together under his lordship to usher in the kingdom of God together. I'm not talking about fellowship in the way we churchy people sometimes like to use it. This is more than grabbing a bite to eat after, after church on Sunday. It's more than a gathering around a, a, a potluck for a little fellowship. I'm talking about fellowship in the way Paul uses the term. In Paul's letter to the Philippians, fellowship means a partnership or a bond that's so tight that if it's ever severed, there's a great amount of pain that is experienced by everybody that's involved in that partnership. It's like going into business with someone, becoming partners with someone. You pour time, money, energy into this business, into this common goal, into this common vision. And if something goes wrong, if something, something fails, if the relationship has to get severed for some reason, it's painful. That kind of close, tight-knit fellowship, that partnership, is what's being pictured here in, in, in baptism. We can't do Christianity in isolation. As much as we and our culture wish we could, that's why baptism is so important. It's the sign of our entrance into the new covenant people united in Christ, and it pictures the power of God to raise us from death to life. Have you ever considered that church is part of the gospel? When the gospel story is told and the gospel announcement is made, the church is birthed. It's birthed out of the fundamental truths of the good news. We certainly need God, but dare I say it, He's not all we need. 
We need each other. The Great Commission isn't just for individuals. It's actually spoken to the church, for the church. The church is Christ's bride. The church is Paul's crown. Without it, we miss the vital leg of the three-legged gospel, and the stool that we put all our weight on topples over and drops us to the floor. Baptism is about commitment to God and each other. It's about fellowship. It's about church. The body of Christ is one of the tools that God uses to make us more like Christ, and it's part of the gospel. But it's not just, we're not just baptized into the body of Christ. It gets better. Look, it says, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Name, not names. It's a list of three. You would think that would be plural, but it's the name. One God, three persons, the Trinity at work. The name is one of authority and power. The three persons working in perfect harmony. This is the perfect fellowship, and we're baptized right into the middle of it. We get invited to sit down at their lunch table and join in the conversation. To join in the community that's been going on before the sands of time began. Can you imagine entering the lunchroom and being invited to the Trinity table? The cool kids' table would have no meaning to you anymore. To sit down with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Be part of the conversation. Be part of what they're all about. Don't miss what's being signified by baptism here. This is a joining with God and the saints in an eternal partnership, fellowship, church, The Great Commission is not given to individuals to carry out on their own. The commission is given to the church to carry out together. And then the last point in this section is teaching. The last word that we're looking at is teaching. Teaching for the purpose of understanding and passing on the good news of the gospel and his kingdom. Teach so that disciples will be multiplied, not just in the classroom, uh, in the Western-style format, But as you're going, like we talked about before, Jesus used teachable moments as they traveled to illuminate key truths and mysteries. And when I'm being a good parent, I do this with my kids. I recently had a Holy Spirit moment with my son, Ethan, and actually Amelia and Lincoln were both involved as well. Um, Lincoln really loves the power strip um, that powers our computer and printer and everything at our desk. And I turned around just in time to see his little leg disappear under the desk. So I, I, I did what anyone would naturally do. I said, Lincoln! And uh, Amelia from behind me says, Lincoln! And then Ethan comes out with this profound statement. Oh, Amelia just imitates what everybody else says. And, and then it hit me. That's a good thing sometimes, Ethan. Paul told us to imitate him, to imitate good leaders, and to imitate Jesus. That's how we learn. He looked at me, shrugged his shoulders, and kept eating his cereal. So I 
I'm, but I'm often surprised at how much sinks in for him. So I don't think it was a total loss. So how do we know what to teach? How do we know what to teach? I wish I'd heard the content of Philip's teaching about Jesus when he met the Ethiopian eunuch on that wilderness road in Acts 8. I wish I'd heard the content of Jesus' teaching when he met the two disciples on that Emmaus road in Luke 24. But my guess is, God doesn't want us to know the content word for word. Instead, I believe he wants us to live our lives and teach and share out of who we are in Christ. In whatever you're doing, consider what you're doing. Teach them what you know and how God's story intersects with yours. Your presentation might not be perfect. You may feel zero confidence to share. But action, not perfection, is the goal. Someone once prayed, Lord, Jesus, let me preach you as you deserve, as you ought to be proclaimed. Jesus responded in a still small voice, not even in heaven will you be able to preach me as I deserve. The point, go with what you know. Still, we fail at these simple but often challenging tasks. As you're going about your day doing what you do, does it cross your mind that you've been commissioned by God to disciple the people around you? Have there ever been times when you've avoided the opportunity to teach because of maybe a lack of confidence or just, just sheer laziness? I can relate to that. Just so we're clear that I'm not a perfect parent, uh, this happens with me all the time with my kids. I let a great teachable moment slip by, and I raise my voice. I raise my voice instead because it seems to get the job done quicker. The short-term reward is great, but here in this commission, Jesus isn't talking about short-term reward. He's talking about long-term results. Jesus is talking about disciples making disciples. It takes work. It takes intentional work. Do you have your head up when you're going about your day? Are you looking for opportunities to share the good news? Or are you content with the safety of your own little eye bubble, drifting along in your personalized cloud, connected with Facebook instead of an actual face? Are you committed to helping those around you become better? Do you love them enough to not let them stay comfortably where they are? Do you take advantage of teachable moments, even if it means straining the relationship or causing some awkwardness? I wonder what your week would look like if you prayed for the Holy Spirit's vision. I'm willing to bet your eyes would be open to some people that need Jesus desperately. But how can we possibly do what we're being commissioned to do? The third point is we see the promise that accompanies Jesus' commission in verse 20b. Thank God for this promise. Let's just read it. And behold, 
I am with you always till the end of the age. Wow, we're, we're like, <laughs> without Christ, we're like painters without inspiration, without paint, without brushes. We just can't do, do anything good. We can't create anything good. But in Christ, trusting and leaning on the promise of this last verse, we can do the good works that have been prepared for us. If you want to live out this commission, we're going to need some serious supernatural help. We're going to need to have to call on the Lord and depend on the Holy Spirit. In Luke 11, verse 13, in short, it says, ask and receive. In our own strength, we have the strength of a blade of grass. Can everybody picture a blade of grass? Okay. Not very strong. But when we're in Christ, when we're affixed to him, he is like an iron rod. Now, a blade of grass has very little impact when swung. A blade of grass that's affixed to an iron rod, that's going to have some serious impact. That's what it's like to be living out this commission in Christ. Without him, without the promise of his presence, we wouldn't be able to do it. So what have you been praying for lately? Are you empowered by the presence of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit? If not, have you asked for his presence and power? It may be the difference between a coworker or family member coming to know the saving power of Jesus Christ. Who do you know that could be impacted by an encounter with Jesus through you? So what happens if we don't follow the parameters set out in Jesus' commission? We fail to join God in his mission, his great rescue mission, leaving people in their lostness, jumping from one thing to the next, trying to find fulfillment, but always coming up short, always being disappointed. We don't get the joy of leading others into covenant relationship, fellowship, partnership with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We pass up the chance to give others a taste of the coming kingdom. And God doesn't get maximum glory. So what's the payoff if we follow Jesus' commission? What if we were to become discipling artists, inspired by the Great Commission? The payoff is eternally huge. We, may, we would make disciples. We would get caught up in the God's mission and glorify Him. We lead others to participate in community with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That perfect community that has always been. We get to know Him. We experience with others a taste of the kingdom on earth. Ultimately, the family grows and God receives maximum glory. The payoff is well worth the time and the effort. It truly is the Great Commission. When we stay inside the simple parameters of the Great Commission, everybody wins. We experience God, lost people are found, 
and God gets the glory. When I was in college, I wanted a commission that would bring me glory. I wanted the fame and the recognition. But now I've received a commission that gives purpose and meaning to my life, and it brings glory to God, the one who deserves glory. I pray it will do the same for you. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your word that we can look to for guidance, that we can look to for assurance, that we can look to for hope. Lord, that we can look to and lean hard into those promises that you make so clearly for us. Lord, I pray that you will continue to work in our hearts, continue to make us new, continue to um, give us confidence and boldness to proclaim the good news of, of the gospel in your coming kingdom, that lives could be transformed and that the kingdom could be expanded and that more would come to know who you are, what you've done for us in Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.